girl, I know. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> Is this so currently recording? Welcome to the podcast where marketing gets personal. Broadcasting from Macklin, we'll be covering everything about our field from the totally topical to the utterly off topic. Let's see where it takes us this week on B2Me. Hey, everyone. Welcome to B2Me. My name is Kira. I'm the digital and strategy manager here at Macklin. I am joined with Hannah, our digital marketing coordinator, and Kevin, our account director. And today we are going to be talking about influencer marketing. Um, So I know we all love influencer marketing. It's kind of a love-hate relationship, just the nature of the beast. Um, It's all love. (laughs) It's all love. Right, Hannah? Yeah. Literal love, heart, Instagram. Exactly. So let's start with the basics. Kevin, Hannah, what in the world is influencer marketing in the first place? Influencer marketing is essentially when brands collaborate with creators who have large social media followings or influence, as they say, to increase their brand exposure. So question for you, Kevin, how can businesses benefit from influencer marketing or what's the point? I think it all depends on their overall strategy. There has to be a goal to execute with influencers. I've always said there, we need to create a moment or there has to be a brand moment that you're really trying to capitalize on and reach different people in different demographics. Cause that's the whole point of using an influencer is to help garner people that you might not get through paid social ads or your typical marketing. So I think it's important to identify, you know, what's the goal? Is it a a grand opening of some sort? Is it a promotional thing? Is it a new launch of a product? I think those are times when you really can create large campaigns and influencers fit well into that. I mean, we've seen that from just our own experience that if there isn't something that's compelling, I feel the influencer has a hard time creating engaging content for that, but if there's a new product launch or something that that's really engaging, they then can take the the creative briefs and the goals and objectives we have and develop exactly what we're looking for. Totally. If they're excited, then other people are going to be excited exactly. too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and the last thing you want is for someone to see a video that an influencer made for you and have them ask, "What's the point?" Right. Yeah. Right. So then when should businesses use influencer marketing or even should all businesses use influencers? I mean, I think it's a great strategy for brands to utilize when they want to get the word out about something, kind of like Kevin said, um, with a product launch or a new campaign or event that they're putting on. Um, Word of mouth has always been such a tried and true method. So when people see an endorsement from someone they like or trust on social media, I think that carries a lot of weight. I think so too. I think I guess one not necessarily a roadblock or a flag when you're trying to do influencer campaigns. I think the goal is everybody know there's, there's paid marketing campaigns and hashtag ad and partner. Mm -hmm. And you don't want it to look like that influencer is just in it for the cash grab. You want to create authentic relationships with people. So I think thinking through how you can utilize the same influencer multiple times to talk about that product, to talk about that brand, to build brand affinity with that influencer and then their following It helps then create more authenticity for your product, your brand, whatever it is that you might be looking to promote or launch a campaign around. Yeah. And I think like there's not always going to be situations where it makes sense. Like a B2B business influencer is probably not going to be 
you know, a great fit for you. Even some B2C businesses, it might not make sense. Like if you're a venue and you're wanting to try to market to people to host their event there, like even that might not make sense. Or like if if you did that, you would have to have like a really good strategy behind it. So it always kind of just goes back to, like you said, Kevin, creating that moment. And not all businesses are going to have a moment to create. And even businesses that do have those moments to create, those moments are going to happen all the time. Yeah, I think that's a really good, it's not, you don't want to force a moment. Mm -hmm. If there isn't a moment, then I don't know if an influencer marketing campaign really makes sense. I think really you have to dial it all back. And, you know, a lot of the time we ask ourselves, what's the why? What's the overall goal of launching an influencer campaign? And if you can't identify one, it might not make sense. Nine times out of 10, you probably can figure out a reason why. Mm -hmm. But to your point, when something's forced and you're just doing it for the sake of doing it, it then starts to feel inauthentic. And I think followers and people on social media, we probably need to give them more credit than, than we do. I think they can see right through that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So then the words micro and macro come up pretty frequently in discussions about influencers. So let's, um, let's talk about that a little bit. What's the difference? What are those? So a macro influencer is somebody who has a following of over a hundred thousand people. Um, so that's like celebrities or creatives that have developed these major fan bases. Um, so with such large followings, they can be really good partners for increased visibility and return on investment, but they also have higher rates typically. So you have to factor in that cost of working with them. And if that fits with your budget and goals, um, micro influencers are people that have smaller, more niche followings, and they often have loyal followers who might interact with their content more frequently than say one of those celebrities. So you might work with these influencers if your goal is to see more engagement or if you're targeting a specific location. Yeah. And I think that kind of all goes back to like your goals. Are you just trying to reach as many people as possible? You don't necessarily care if they're engaging Then someone with 250,000 followers might be great. But if you're wanting to build brand loyalty or brand affinity with people, you're probably going to want to go with micro influencers to get that engagement rate. But if you're using a micro when you should be using a macro or vice versa, it's not going to make it make sense for the budget you're spending. So just always keeping those um, those goals in mind when you're picking uh, influencers to use. And we use, you know, macro when you mentioned celebrity, Hannah, it's, I don't even know if you would include celebrities in the macro because a lot of the time they have millions That'd upon like millions of sure. followers. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of their own stratosphere really yeah. when it comes to that. And, you know, we've used them a couple of times in, in certain campaigns for some of our clients and it's, that's more about the headline. That's more about getting the buzz and the PR and all of that and really drawing attention. And if you use that the right way, your macro and micro folks can build off of that and to your point, have more engaging content with people from a local level. Cause you always want to try and find people in your cities too. So yeah. that way, you know, if you're doing something in Chicago, you don't necessarily want someone who lives in St. Louis promoting any event that's specific to Chicago, but we've had some success using those celebrities for a, a moment creating the initial launch, if you will. And then the micro and macro falls into the, overarching weeks down the line mm -hmm. campaign. Complimentary to it. Exactly. Yeah. So then outside of micro versus macro, because that's something you definitely look for in an influencer, um, but what other things should businesses be looking for in an influencer when, um, when they're wanting to launch a campaign? So the first thing that I look at is their content. For me, if, if I'm scrolling through and, and looking at your reel or, or your feed or your stories or whatever it is, 
if I'm not stopping and you're not capturing me in the first couple of seconds, I kind of tend to move on. Mm-hmm. That's probably not the best way, but if it's not capturing my attention, Being is it going to capture King? You are exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am. I, right? Like, I'm kind of the account director slash pop culture guru of Macklin. Let's yeah. just call it like it is. But yeah, I, you know, social media is such a fast-paced environment, and it continues mm-hmm. to only get faster and if you're not engaged by some other stuff that they've previously done, I would move on. Yeah. I also think too, you know, one of our things is really that authentic engagement rate and looking at analytics and making sure it ladders up to your overall goals and what your, your client really is looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with all of that, but I also think it's important to look at their audience breakdown and right. what are their interests and demographics because Whereas something might not maybe pull me in as like a 27 year old woman, maybe like if you're targeting a younger or older audience, something that they might older, be interested in. rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something they might be interested in um, would capture their attention. So you might gravitate to content that's different than what I gravitate to. Totally. And that's fine <laughs> because depending on your demo for your campaign, you want a mix of all of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But good product placement is pretty universal and that always translates. Yeah. And I think too, like Kevin, when you said like looking at their content, like does it capture your attention? I always call that thumb stopping power because everyone's oh, just like yeah. scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. You want to stop I like that, that thumb. That's a good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then too, like I think it's been mentioned before being like authentically aligned with the brand you know, if we are wanting to do a product launch or a influencer campaign for a product launch of a specific shoe brand or something, if this influencer is always posting about a direct competitor of that brand and then, oh, all of a sudden they're posting this, one, you're already competing with that brand, but then it's going to feel very inauthentic to that audience mm-hmm. of like, oh, well, you're always talking about Nike. Why are you all of a sudden talking about Adidas? Like that right. makes no sense. Yeah. Totally. I think that too. That's a good point. I like the thumb stopping power. I'm going to start using that in meetings and you're going to regret <laughs> saying that here today. Um, yeah. I think it's important that, you know, you mentioned the thumb stopping power and knowing who you're going after. Nike, Adidas, all that. It's also, if you find an influencer, if they apply to your campaign and they are provocative and you have a very family oriented brand, like mm-hmm. knowing which ones to execute with, you know, it's, it's kind of common sense, but sometimes it's not. But you can use your best judgment knowing that, you know, if you're, if their entire feed is very provocative, chances are, if you're a family owned, very conservative sort of brand, you're not going to want to use somebody who's going to push the envelope as much. But then on the flip side, if you have an edgy brand, that might be the person that you want to engage with. So you know your brand and you can find an influencer for anything really. And just making sure it ladders up to what you're looking to do. Definitely. So then once we are through, we've, you know, contracted all of our influencers, we've gone through the rounds of edits and the content's finally live. How do we measure success in our influencer campaigns and what does success even look like in this space? As Kevin mentioned, 
we are looking for authentic engagement rates. So how many people are liking, sharing, commenting on those posts versus the overall impressions that the post had? That's like our biggest measure. But then it's going back to clear goals and expectations for the campaign to really see, hey, did this specific influencer really hit the mark for us? And do we like their content? Do we think they'd be great for another campaign in the future? For me, it's always fun as a, you know, a wrap up that you send off to your clients. It's fun to look at some of those comments and take certain screenshots of those of them actually saying, oh my God, I'm going to run to there today or, you know, I've got to go pick this up. And it just shows how they're, they're following this influencer for a reason. They're then ultimately influencing an action that this follower is going to do. And you can show your clients like this is what's happening from this campaign and this influencer that, you know, Kira saw this ad and is actually now going to do X, Y, Z, go buy your product, go visit your store, go visit your whatever it might be. I think that's always fun to show clients in a wrap up that like, it's actually working. People are engaging, people are commenting, they're in it, they're mm-hmm. reacting to it. Yeah. And it's such a different space, even though it's both social media, it's such a different space from paid social ads too, because with paid social ads, you can track actual conversions. You can say, right. you know, we serve this ad to this many people and we actually had this many purchases and those purchases equaled out to $10,000 or whatever it is. Influencers, it's hard to put a value on that return on ad spend or that ROI, which a lot of our clients ultimately kind of, they might not use those specific terms, but that's what they're looking to see. So we also have this um, this equation that we use that is for every dollar spent on influencer marketing, you see a return of $5.78. So that's obviously, you know, an estimate, but that's a way that we can kind of put a value to it versus not just, you know, having it be qualitative, but quantitative. So we have that uh, that equation for a quantitative analysis and then those comments and authentic engagement rate, that's more qualitative. Like people saying that they're going to go, you know, buy this food product or whatever, that all kind of works together, marrying those three different aspects um, to really give a holistic picture. So then as we are kind of wrapping things up, I think it's important to give, you know, some advice to people who might be looking to get into this sphere. Um, So what are maybe, you know, some do's or don'ts or like key lessons or advice that you have for anyone that might be looking to run their own influencer marketing campaign? I would say the biggest do is to have clear goals and expectations for each campaign and really for your influencers so they know what you're looking for them to deliver and so you can evaluate how successful their content is. I would also say don't try to have full control over the creative process. While it is important to give them a a guideline or a roadmap to follow, content creators really do know what types of content that their followers respond well to. So let them lead with creativity as long as they're producing quality content. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And that really leans back into the don't force it. If it's not working, don't force them into, you know, round peg into a square hole sort of thing. I think that's a good point of they know what resonates with their followers. If they truly are a good quote unquote influencer content creator and have been doing it for a while, they know what resonates and they know what gets the engagement that you're looking for. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, it's like marrying your brand and marrying their mm-hmm. brand. Totally. Um, and that kind of even goes back to like being authentically aligned, because if you t- put too much control into the creative process and they put out a piece of content, that's nothing at all. Like anything else that they post, it's going to come yeah. across as weird and it's, it's going to flop with yeah. their audience. So it really just like full picture being authentic, working together, that collaboration, not forcing it, creating that moment. It all kind of ties into each other. Beautifully said, Kira. <laughs> all right. <Bye>, right. <laughs> well, that's all we have for today's show. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to follow Beat Me wherever you get your podcasts. And for all things marketing, follow Macklin on social media. See you next time on Beat Me.